Why, hello, I'm Natalie Zett, and welcome to Flower in the River. Flower in the River is a podcast about a book I wrote of the same name, and that book is about the Eastland disaster that took place in 1915 in Chicago, and how that long-ago tragedy affected my family for generations. I'll talk about writing and family history and what to do when the supernatural comes into your life when you're innocently doing a family history research project. Come on and let's have some fun with this. Welcome to Episode 8, where we will continue discussing... Chapter 2, Annie's Granddaughter And what's happened so far is that the Eastland disaster of 1915 occurred. 844 were killed, including Martha Pfeiffer. Martha's sister, Annie Pfeiffer, gave Martha the tickets, so Martha was able to attend the Western Electric Company picnic. Annie feels very guilty, to say the least, and eventually she leaves Chicago and marries a second time. She lives in Johnstown, Pennsylvania with her second husband, but not for very long. Three years after having her third and final child, Annie dies of a heart attack and takes all that history with her. Annie's daughter, Helena, grows up with no knowledge of her mother's family history. Helena grows up, gets on with her life. She gets married, has a couple of kids. She relocates from Johnstown to Cleveland. All is well. And many more years pass. And then, Helena's oldest daughter also grows up and is living on her own in the Twin Cities, and that would be Minneapolis-St. Paul, Minnesota. And her name is Zara. And her father just died. In the midst of that grief, she has a recurring dream where she and her father are boarding a ship. She panics, she freezes, and she says we can't go on this ship or else we'll die. She continues to be haunted by this dream. Some have asked whether that's real or fiction. That dream did happen after my father died. When I wanted to incorporate this experience into my book, one of my writing teachers said, no one will believe that. He said, things don't happen this way. I said, they did happen this way. And he apologized. And he said, you know, I think your best bet is to make this fictional, to make it believable. At first, I was upset, but when I thought about it a little bit, I knew he was right. I like to go under the hood about the writing process simply because I've also taught writing, and I don't ever want people to think there's something that's done that they can't do. Of course they can, but as long as they don't know the backstory, they think this process is more than what it is when it's basically a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of work, rework, tears, and then rework. That's all. Sarah is mildly estranged from her family and moved quite far from them so she could reinvent herself without the disapproval that she frequently experienced. A lot of people maybe you're one, 
leave their homes or the homes that they grew up in to go someplace else to reinvent themselves. In Zara's case, she no longer could deal with the encumbrance, the disapproval of family, etc., etc., that she so frequently experienced simply because she wanted to be herself, to be an individual. So she decided to be very clever and choose a place to relocate where she knew no one and was related to no one as far as she knew, and that place again would be the Twin Cities, otherwise known as Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. She came for grad school, she stayed, and she eventually created a lovely network of friends and family of choice. Life was pretty good, finally. Growing up, she thought her relatives were not very interesting. There were a few who were kind of out there. But mostly when she was writing her first stories in elementary school, she would write these stories about them to try to make them more interesting than they actually were. Since Zara, like me, was told way back when she was a child that she didn't have a family history because she wasn't part of the Mayflower people, please see the first episode of this podcast, she really didn't think that family history applied to her. It only applied to a certain group of people. But Zara's world is turned upside down when she receives this document from her mother's sister who she thought was dead. And her mother's sister was formerly a reporter in Chicago. And when Zara began reading this well-crafted document, she begins to learn about her maternal grandmother's family. And the piece that stood out initially was the story of how her grandmother's 19-year-old sister was killed when a ship called the Eastland capsized in the Chicago River. Now, Zara is already grieving from losing her father and is now in shock, realizing that her family is connected to an epic tragedy that no one seems to have heard of. What is going on here? Sometimes, well, a lot of times, when we're in grief, at least when I've been in grief, I always feel like life should slow down for a little bit so I could have a nice, clean, grieving process. Right. And I always hope that nothing will disturb me during this time of readjusting to the world. However, my life, in fact, has never worked out that way because there are always other things that come in the midst of grief. But when Zara begins learning about her family history, she doesn't know what to do. She is slammed with anxiety, emotional paralysis, grief, etc., etc. She does what she normally does in times of grief and stress. She goes to her creative outlet of choice. Many of us need an outlet to stabilize us during these times. And so Zara steadies herself by writing. This character is a part-time freelance journalist and also holds a regular job in corporate America. 
She'd always worked in some aspect of IT, and at this point, the character is working for a training company that's creating videos and films for corporations. She works as a developer or programmer, but she's also a scriptwriter, voiceover artist, and she does a little bit of graphic design in this profession of hers, and she wears many hats, as have I in my life. By that time, too, she's a very experienced journalist. Zara started getting published back in the day when there were gatekeepers making sure that writers could actually, well, write. According to the gatekeepers' specifications, that is. And those specifications could vary wildly depending on the gatekeeper, and the publication that they represented. A writer to get anything published, there was no such thing as blogging, or forget independent publishing, there was just vanity presses. So a writer had to convince an editor of a newspaper or a magazine or some other publication that they could actually write. Since I had to get past multiple gatekeepers in order to get my publishing life working, I put that into my character, Zara, as well. She knew the ways of the publishing world, and she was no lightweight by the time this document found its way to her. Zara, at first, thinks because she has all this background in research and publication that Finding out information about this Eastland disaster thing is going to be a cinch. She could not have been further from the truth. Her background did not help her very much in this case. Instead, she had to learn to rely on different kinds of resources, ones she wasn't used to. So Zara, given her history, is really miffed. For the first time ever, she finds out that she does indeed have a family history. But then it's like this big tease where, yes, you have a family history, but we dare you to find it because a lot of it's been erased from the memory of history in general. The Eastland disaster was perhaps a microcosm of larger issues in American history, such as classism, such as corporate greed. That remains a valid theory as to why this was forgotten. And I wanted to explore these themes. I don't particularly enjoy talking about things like classism or corporate greed because, number one, it leaves one feeling like, oh gosh, what can I do? This has been going on forever I felt pretty helpless in tackling this, but nonetheless, I thought, let's just keep exploring and learning. When it came to writing about it, I thought it would be more expeditious and meaningful to explore all these heavy-weighted topics through the lens of a fictional character's journey. As for Zara, she had her own battles with her working-class background. Because she experienced so much prejudice, she worked really hard to distance herself from her working-class background. But like a really bad dye job, those roots kept coming up no matter what she did. 
I joke about it only because sometimes that's a way to take the power back in these kind of situations. But really, it is amazing that we were taught to be ashamed of so many things about our lives by who taught us this, the, the overarching culture, neighbors, friends, um, entertainment. And we were taught that we were less than because we were from a certain area, because our families worked in certain industries, and because our origins were, well, not Mayflower people stuff. There was a lot of loss in all that. Anytime you buy how an overarching culture that's not you defines you, I think that we know that. By the same token, there's nothing more powerful than taking that back, taking back that narrative and reinterpreting it based on the reality of who you are and who your people are. That's my two cents. And the gift from that document that I received from my Aunt Pearl and my own exploration of genealogy has really taught me to embrace my background, be proud of my background with all its quirks. And despite what I thought once upon a time, we really do have a fairly interesting family history. And to me, that is one of the gifts of genealogy. You can't really describe it to somebody, what it's like to have formerly kind of distanced yourself felt ashamed of your background, and then suddenly to be faced with all of this information and people and places, and you bring it into your heart, and it really changes you to the point where you're an advocate for your people, because face it, without them, you wouldn't be here. It really is quite the gift. But back to Zara. Once on her own, she wanted to prove her independence by living alone. But this came at a price because she had to hold two or more jobs just to maintain her autonomy and independence because, after all, she did not come from money. She became the queen of side hustles, her more posh, wealthy friends that she liked to hang around with didn't understand why she was so busy, why she had to work all the time, why she was so tired. They didn't have this problem. They didn't understand because, well, how could they? This was outside of their experience. But she started to once again face her own past, and it wasn't always pretty. And here's a slice of my own life that I put into the character of Zara. Hillbillies. Yep. We were called hillbillies. When my mom and dad moved from Johnstown, Pennsylvania to the big city of Cleveland, Ohio, my parents had orange crates for furniture and maybe about $40 to their name. They had a car sometimes, but it was mostly inoperable. But one thing that we took for granted is that we always had a place to live. True, our homes weren't usually in the best areas, but we had a place to live. For lower-income families back in the day, housing was affordable, much more so than it is today, and that's unfortunate. 
Here's a little more backstory for you. My mother was actually brought up in a 22-room mansion. Yes, you heard that right. I think this mansion belonged to a lumber baron or a steel baron in Johnstown at one point. And that's how she grew up. And she was a very high achiever in high school. She graduated with honors and she got special recognition for her Latin scholarship. Yes, they studied Latin in public high school in the small coal mining town of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. So what happened? So Zara was in a tailspin trying to understand this document, trying to understand what it meant to her. The memories from her own childhood begin to emerge, and she realizes the disconnected threads of her family history are beginning to weave together. And she's about to embark on a journey that is more like a collision course that unites her family's past with her present. Here comes the passage. Zara leaned back in the chair and shook her head. The closest she ever got to Annie Pfeiffer, her maternal grandmother, was at Grandview Cemetery in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where she accompanied her parents. She was about three or four. That's my mother, said Zara's mother, pointing to a tombstone. Zara's eyes widened while clutching and digging her nails into her mom's hand. How could she have a flesh-and-blood mother, and her mother have an enormous chunk of rock with writing on it. Helena, a tall, willowy redhead, leaned over and stroked the tombstone while holding Zara's hand. Zara noticed tears forming in her mother's eyes. Helena wiped them away and stood up straight. Zara felt Helena's grief but didn't know how to soothe her. Instead, she scurried away and ran toward the rows of unmarked white gravestones that belonged to the 777 unknown dead killed during the 1889 Johnstown flood. Zara extended her arms and rushed up and down the rows, Grandview Cemetery was a splendid playground, and Zara loved scampering and studying the rolling hills that cascaded to the valley below. Her dad shouted, What are you doing, Zara? Playing with my friends here, Daddy. Joe Vrabel, short, dark-haired, and olive-skinned, was the mirror opposite of his wife. A child of Rusin and Slovak immigrants... Joe's family had ethnic pride before it was cool. Immigrant families of his generation mostly worked at being American by ditching residual accents, telltale clothing, and anything else that screamed immigrant. Helena was extremely self-conscious about being the child of ethnic German immigrants from Prussia. Not Joe. It's in the blood. It's in the blood, proclaimed Joe. Look at my family. Musicians, artists, actors, and fortune tellers. Your mom's family, I don't even know what they are. Polacks, 
Germans? She won't talk much about them, but I'm easy on her. I mean, she never had a mama. My pap died too, but at least I had my mama. Your ma's family, they're not happy. Spending too much time putting on airs, trying to be what they're not. Although Zara's family moved to Cleveland when Zara was about three, they made the six-hour drive to Johnstown most weekends. Zara loved the Johnstown weekends, but detested the big spooky house where her mom grew up. And that concludes this passage. I will talk about the big spooky house and its even spookier inhabitants next time. Hey, that's it for this episode, and thanks for coming along for the ride. Please subscribe or follow so you can keep up with all the episodes. For more information, please go to my website. That's www.floweringtheriver.com, and I'll have that and more information in the show notes. I hope you consider buying my book because I owe people money, and I'm just kidding about that. But the one thing I'm not kidding about is that this podcast and my book are dedicated to the memory of the 844 who died on the Eastland. Goodbye for now. <laughs>